Greetings, dear listeners. This week, Shadi and I sat down to discuss the horrible shootings in Texas and their political fallout. The murder of innocent children has the American people groping for answers, but the seemingly scripted discourse in the wake of such tragedies provides anything but solid answers. Are there really any viable legislative paths to prevent such things from ever happening again? And must everyone read the room in such moments? In part two, Shadi admits that he feels somewhat perplexed by swing voters. After all, who hasn't had time to make up their minds by this point, only to find out that I may in fact be one of those elusive voters myself. We go on to discuss our voting histories and wonder to what extent Republicans are more anti-democratic than Democrats. We really appreciate your support. On to the show. Yeah, so I'm disconnected from America and its dramas because I'm in Croatia right now. Yeah, yeah. So what's it like over there now? I mean, I just got here, so I, I'm not exactly sure what it's like. <laughs> um, I, But I've spent like the week in Europe already. And yeah, it's, it's only by like glancing at Twitter that I saw um, that there's shootings in America and, you know, just sort of the, the, the quizzical um, sort of remarks of Europeans about, you know, why is America such a violent place reminded me that, in fact, something bad had happened in America. But yeah, it's, it's, it's weird to be in a completely different part of the world when something like that happens. And it's, uh, I don't know, it's a little disorienting, I guess. Yeah. So how would you describe the European response? So like, I don't know how prominent the news was in European newspapers, if it got the front page treatment and that sort of thing, but presumably it did get some coverage. And of course, here we're talking about um, the mass shooting that happened in Texas, um, where, what is it, 19? Uh, 19 sure kids, the, yeah. Um, yeah. 19 kids and then two teachers, I believe. Um, so... Yeah, I mean, I guess they've seen this before. They know that we have a problem with school shootings. No, you know, it's, it's, how do I put it? It's um, like the whole thing is kind of like really predictable in the sense that, no, I don't mean predictable. I mean, it's scripted. And I feel like, you know, even now being far out from the United States, the reaction is scripted as well. And I feel like, you know, the, the, the you know, well-meaning Europeans, um, their, their reaction is, is, is scripted as well. It's, it's basically, uh, I don't understand America that it can happen, that this kind of stuff like keeps happening in America. And then in America, it's liberals say what Europeans say, like, you know, we're a civilized country and, you know, this happens far too much and what's wrong with us. Uh, we have to do something about it. And then, you know, conservatives sort of semi-disingenuously or very disingenuously, depending on how you want to frame it, you know, just sort of either wring their hands about uh, the Constitution or the Senate or, you know, uh, the right to bear arms or uh, sort of all of it. And then, I don't know, you just sort of get this kind of I don't know. It's all scripted. It feels scripted. I feel like I feel like we've gone through this before, and uh, I don't know. I, I'm just sort of left making bitter bitter jokes, I guess, you know, in private, not 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 on podcasts or on Twitter. 
um, you know, things like, yeah, anyway. <laughs> yeah, there's a sense that nothing really, yeah, that, yeah, oh, did you, were you about to say one of them? Yeah, I was. The bitter? I, the bitter joke, better not, though. <laughs> oh, no, oh, no, is it no. cancelable? No, I mean it's it's I don't know, uh it's probably worse than what, <laughs> what, what got Matt Iglesias in trouble. No, it's just sort of something along the lines oh, wow, of Wow, wow. No, I mean it's something along the lines of saying, you know, you just sort of paraphrase what some Republican somewhere might might say, something along the lines of freedom ain't free. <laughs> <laughs> that kind of joke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, no, but people say crazy. I mean, there are really crazy comments that it's hard to know, like, what level of self-awareness there is with some conservative commentators and politicians. It seems that some of them actually think that one way of addressing school shootings is by not having less guns, but having less doors. I don't know if you've seen... I don't want to say like the memes, but like that's it's it's kind of like at a level of absurdity that is just like remarkable. Oh, wait, wait, like what, really? That's what you have to say? What happens with doors? I like <laughs> it. Walk me through this. I think I I saw something, but I, I don't think I, I fully followed, and I, I I wasn't concentrating. Yeah, yeah. So they're saying we basically, if I can paraphrase, they're saying we don't have to have less guns. That's not the solution. Sure. The solution is less doors in schools. Like don't the one, you, like a one door policy, and then what happens with less? And that doors? way, shooters can only. Well, if there's only one door. Then presumably, that door would be monitored. You might have like an armed guard, something of something along those lines, and then you wouldn't have alternative entry points into the school. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Could work. No, but it just it's it's one of these weird things where instead of like actually addressing the root of the problem, and maybe here's where I just end up being a standard run-of-the-mill conventional center-left analyst. So I, there are a lot of issues that I don't I don't have original or heterodox views on. My views are like, yeah, gun control seems reasonable. This yeah. seems like it's common sense. Um, but that's also partly because um, I've never. Um, Never shot a gun, never held a gun. Yeah. I believe you have. I have. Because, um, um, yeah. yes, because um, you shouldn't. We because were, once um, you do, you just become like so enamored of them, and you just like defend. Wait, is that what happened to you when oh you felt um, oh when my. when you put your finger on the trigger? Yeah, yeah. No, it, it changed me profoundly. No, no, no. I mean, <laughs> well, you know, there there is this great Beatles song. Um, happiness is a warm gun. Yes, I remember it. I, I never really spent enough time with it to actually ponder what the hell he's saying. Is is is, is he serious? <laughs> no, I don't think it's literally about guns. I think it's a metaphor. Hmm. As much poetry. I can check is, it out right yeah. now. No, I mean, if you okay. want, I don't know. No, but okay. Before we before it, we get into the yeah. Beatles, though, and then you know we degenerate into fights over the Beatles, which I mean, maybe it's it's more useful than <laughs> arguing about guns. And I don't really even have an argument about guns, but um, yeah, look, uh, the maybe the, the most striking thing to me is it seems like the cops are too cowardly to go in. Um, and I don't know, I, I, I've been sort of thinking about that today uh, in anticipation of our conversation, um, what that maybe tells us about something. Uh, does it, does it, does that strike you that 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 the cops were not willing to go in to me that 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 seems wild and i mean a certain kind of i don't know 
decay that that you know are the people that are supposed to be doing this so they're armed to the teeth like SWAT and everything else or you know have their own guns are not willing to go challenge a guy that comes in with a lot of guns I mean that in and itself flies in the face of the uh, of the the sort of conservative argument for you know guns can save us from guns or something like that but more than that it's just something along the lines of you know you're saying you don't have sort of heterodox analyses and you just sort of have um, basic ideas about this which is you know let's limit let's do gun control which i think is sound enough right i mean i even saw some some statistic or some chart pointing to the uh correlation which may not be causative but a correlation nonetheless between when the uh, assault rifles ban was repealed and uh the rise in, in sort of mass shooting so you know maybe there's a correlation there and maybe you just sort of start going at assault rifles and just you know let people have pistols or whatever but not not the full McCoy, but this, the, the, it really struck me something along the lines about that, that, you know, that the cops didn't go in and, you know, again, perhaps some conservative arguments about like the, the breakdown of our society and trust and well, fine mental health, but just in general, it feels like, you know, if our cops are not willing to go in to basically lay down their lives for this kind of common cause, I feel like that's somehow indicative of, of a bigger thing too. Is it? Well, or? the conservative, the conservative reply to that, and I, this is not as common, but I think I've seen a couple people allude to it on Twitter, that because of the um, anti-cop culture that liberals have promoted, this is just me paraphrasing, mm. I don't actually buy this, that cops are not as willing to be heroes and to put themselves on the line, and they're always going to be more cautious now because they know that everything they do will be under scrutiny. But, I mean, I, I, have, I haven't have even looked at the, the picture of the guy that did the shooting. He's Hispanic, though, right? I mean, are they making the case that that since he's a minority, they didn't want to, like, be <laughs> no, showing well, force? No, presumably the police didn't know he was Hispanic, right? I mean, I, mean, I think, I, didn't they catch a glimpse of him going in? Didn't Wasn't there, like, some shootout outside before he went in and started massacring? Possibly, but then, I mean, I, I don't, I haven't, I don't know how... I don't know exactly what he looks like, but, you know, I doubt, like, the police are going to be, like, processing it, like, oh, well, I don't know, maybe. I, I don't I mean, know what the argument that would, is. That but... would be the conservative argument. <laughs> that's, this is what defund the police gets you. It's just and that and plus <laughs> Black Lives Matter means, you know, you can't, you can't. Yeah. That would yeah. be the argument in any case. Well, you know, so. No, so but, it's, but, but more about this. I mean, aren't you, doesn't it strike you that, that like, the cops weren't willing to go in? I mean, Arguments aside on this on this this spurious crap that that you know it's it's like the police. Look, I, look, I think I suppose it feeds into this idea that America is a failed state, which I think is sort of the narrative you know you're hearing more on the left side of the spectrum. Which actually brings us to what you mentioned earlier. Matt Iglesias is now infamous tweet, um, and just for context, because I think that here are some of the bigger issues and. I suppose it depends on how how you look at it. So Matt Iglesias tweeted the night you know after the mass shooting happened, a couple hours, a few hours after, I believe. He wrote, and it's interesting that he has not deleted this yet. He mm -hmm. apologized for it the following morning, and that can get us into an interesting conversation about should he have apologized and and so forth. But in his original tweet, he said. 
for all its very real problems, one shouldn't lose sight of the fact that the contemporary United States of America is one of the best places to live in, in all of human history. And there's a reason tons of people of all kinds from all around the world clamor to move here. So you can, I mean, um, well, but so, so walk, yeah, and he walk got me, pill- yeah, mm. walk me through that, Shadi. Walk, walk me through that because I mean, I, I did catch wind of that. I think you and I exchanged a few texts, and I was sort of uh, uh, dismissive of the whole kerfuffle there. But, but I, I've been trying to sort of think about it. Obviously, there's the question of you know taste, I guess, and you know maybe best not to, you know, I, insofar as people are are shocked and grieving and all the rest of it fine you know maybe hold your fire on something like that but but it seems to me like the 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 amount of sort of pushback he got on that was tied to something more than just taste right or not such as well that 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 like he was not just bad timing in goring a sacred cow but it was the goring of the sacred cow that america's a failed state and that like you know it's like he's a he's a traitor to his side by pointing out that in fact by, I guess, you know, I guess one could say uh, most critically, like normalizing this sort of stuff. But, but, you know, I, I, I think it's, it's, it's one thing to, to deplore this kind of stuff. And it's another thing to, to pretend as if, you know, we haven't been living in this country for a really long time. Um, and with this, like, with this level of insanity, I don't know. I, I, I guess I just wasn't that outraged yeah. by it at all, at all. And, and, and okay, I just so wrote it off for being away. St- mm. Yeah, go ahead. I'll tell you a story about that tweet. Mm. And I think that I alluded to it over text with you, but just so you know the full story, because I almost got myself in quite a bit of trouble and I have not commented or provided context on this in public. Mm. So you, dear listeners, are hearing this um, for the first time. So you have some inside information here. Woo. Yep. Do it. Okay, so he- here's basically what happened. And I know it sounds weird, especially for people who are on Twitter like 24-7. But basically, here's what happened. Um, I think that from maybe around 4 p.m. on Tuesday, the day of the mass shooting, from 4 p.m. to like 8 p.m., I wasn't on Twitter at all. And I wasn't really online. And I wasn't aware of what was happening around me. Okay? Mm Mm-hmm. The last I do remember seeing an, uh, like a New York Times notification that showed up on my phone. I don't I usually ignore them, but the one I remember seeing and it just vaguely registered with me was that two two people had been killed. Mm-hmm. So um, so I didn't even think about it much because unfortunately, and I hate to say this, I mean that has become a pretty regular occurrence in America that one or two people you know are killed in in various contexts in different parts of the country. Um, so then I'm meeting up with someone for dinner and it's like maybe 820 mm-hmm. and I have made the mistake of putting Twitter back on my phone. I don't usually have Twitter on my phone, which I think is a very healthy thing because you don't want to be tempted while you're waiting for a friend at dinner to just like go on Twitter for five minutes and like you, like there's probably more productive things you can do with the five to 10 minute gap, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. But because I only had five to 10 minutes, I wasn't really paying much attention. The first thing I see on my feed is this tweet from Matt Iglesias, okay? 
And he and I also see him making some he's replying to someone making some reference to the fact that he got ratioed and mm-hmm. he's doubling down mm-hmm. at this point. That's like really all I'm aware of. And I'm just like, oh, my God, the leftists are are like attacking Matt for like the most innocuous, banal tweet like imaginable. And I reread the tweet and I'm like, how are people getting so offended? I'm because there's nothing there objectionable. Shooting. Yeah. Yeah, I hadn't realized that that was the the context and that Matt himself was using that as his context. That's why he tweeted it at that particular time, you know? Right. So so I'm like, why why are people freaking out about this? And I'm like, oh, is it the standard thing where leftists now, they always want you to quote unquote, read the room. And I'm like, and that really bothers me because I think, first of all, um, you know, what if people aren't in the same room? Right. I've never really understood. Like, it's such an annoying um, thing to say to people. It's very patronizing. Oh, read the room. So it's not as if it's not about the factual accuracy. It's not about truth. It's about being aware of what the conventional wisdom is on your side and deferring to the tastes of the tastemakers, basically, right? Worse, Which I don't than, like, obviously. worse than that, though, right? I mean, it's it's sentimentality, or not sentimentality, but the sentiments of the room, like to not offend people. It's more than just yeah, yeah. yeah. You don't want to cause offense. Yeah, right. exactly, yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I then I so I quote tweet. Matt and I say something like I you know I've reread this twice now and this is like the most banal and self-evident thing one could possibly say blah 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 something along those lines mm. and then I start seeing people attacking me and then I'm starting to get more like to become more aware there's been this entire debate that's been going on for like four hours that I'm just finally plugging into and I'm trying to catch up mm. And, you know, at that point, you so eventually I could see, oh, wow, shit, it wasn't just two people who were killed. This is one of the worst mass shootings in recent American history um, at a school where children are being targeted. Like this is this is like a very shocking development. Um, And it's like the, the defining issue on Twitter and everyone is basically so everyone's commenting on that one way or the other. Yeah. Okay, so I have a I have a choice at this point. I can either double down, which is what Matt did. Yeah. After getting attacked, he just kept on going justifying himself. And I mean, technically, his tweet is accurate and true. Right. You know, it is it is true that the the contemporary United States of America is one of the best places to live in all of human history and there's a reason of tons of people from all around the world clamor to move here. So we're not really having a debate about accuracy. We are having a debate about the context in which you read something like that, right? But tell and, me what do you mean by context and and tell me how that's not reading the room and like what are we talking about? I, so I, so I decided, like, I think maybe 10 minutes later after I caught up, um, and and thankfully my uh, uh, the person I was meeting up with was late, which gave me enough time to correct my mistake. I mean, mm. God forbid if I hadn't deleted those tweets. Mm. Um, and I wouldn't have felt comfortable with that. Like, I, you know, I, I'm getting older. I, unless there's no reason... To double down on something, you know, you found you find out more context, you realize that something's in bad taste, and maybe this gets to your point. Should it matter that something is in bad taste? Um, and but I thought that, you know, 
at a time of national tragedy, you don't always have to say the true thing. It may be better to say the thing that respects where people are at and the fact that they're grieving. Yeah, yeah, no, no. And there's little to be gained by just restating a factual thing while everyone is is sad and they're contending with something that's very difficult to contend with. No, sure. So I just don't think it's appropriate. It's not an appropriate tweet. Like what Matt said, ultimately, I don't believe is appropriate well, for that context. So, so I think like I, I just want to sort of like pick that apart because there's there's bad yeah. taste. Um, there's rude. Um, and then there's something else which I'm sort of trying to pick at whether there's something else going on here. Um, which is this next step, which is that, uh, apart from being ill-timed and bad taste, uh, perhaps even rude, as you say, about, you know, a mode of national grieving, um, it's unhelpful for the fight that's to come. Um, because the only way to mobilize people is to convince them that, in fact, you know, we're living in a third world country. Um, and, uh you know, to sort of get them out of their seats to be more active. Now, I mean, I, I think it's delusional. Maybe I'm also part of the problem. I think it's delusional to think that activism will solve this uh, because I think it's tied up to, you know, broader culture war things. And I don't know. I don't know. I'm not sure how, how one gets to this. I, well, we can we can spitball on it. But I, I, you know, again, it's not my issue area. But I, every time I think about it, I, I, I run into sort of dead ends. But I wonder if that's what was part of it and that there was a, a sense of reading the room politically in the sense of that you were talking about earlier rather than mere bad taste on it. So that's why, I mean, I, I think it's good that Matt hasn't deleted the tweet uh, in the sense he apologized for the bad taste stuff, but he said, no, in fact, I'm not backing down on this idea that like we're a uniquely messed up place. Now, I mean, you know, perhaps this is unique in the world that we have this many mass shootings, um, but I think the point stands, right? Uh, that, that, and, and, and I guess what bothers me about it is, well, bothers me, I'm not that bothered, but it, it's what's maybe like pushing me off from Twitter more and more is, um, is that Twitter has become this sort of weird like mass therapy space, you know? So where like people go to grieve and be comforted in current events by strangers they don't know and they weep and expect like, again, the crowd to somehow be their therapist or nanny or something like that. And, you know, again, I, it's, I, I have a very strong sense of propriety and rudeness and I would not want to be rude, but there's something else. I mean, maybe I'm reading into it, but again, it's, it just feels like this thing is like this constant therapeutic mode that Twitter is on and that, that, that Matt sinned both by, you know, not being enough of a therapist, or at least like partaking in the ritual, and on the other hand, also by, for political reasons, uh, that, that um, you know, he was undermining the broader cause, the fight for change or something like that. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, yeah. So, well, first of all, I think it's a bit trolly. So I don't know where that fits into your categorization, you know, Sure. in the bad taste spectrum or whatever. And I guess like, I think that I I am trying just personally, if I, if I tweet something and I feel like it might be perceived as trolling, I'm not, I, I feel like 
that's not something I should be doing as much and I should be more, you know, self-policing in that regard. I mean, Matt is... Matt's more of um, a a hot, no, no, he's not a troll. No, but he, I mean, part of his job, he's a hot take provider. That's a troll. Yes. He's a provider. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> anyway, go on. No, I mean, he always has to come up with like interesting, vaguely heterodox or actually heterodox opinions that annoy people and annoy people. Yeah, yeah. and he has, you know, as as many people have commented, he he's sometimes an annoying personality on Twitter. Mm. That's not really, I mean, some people might see me as a hot take provider, um, and I have done hot takes in the past, in fact, Mm -hmm. but I also feel like I have a responsibility to my own position, so to speak, that I I just play a different role in the media ecosystem, Hmm. and that perhaps propriety is, is demanded more from someone like me than someone like Matt Iglesias, right? Mm-hmm. So that's, I mean, so there's also a question of positionality and what role we play in debates, right? But I think that your point about the politics of it is relevant too, that if we just keep on saying that America is still relatively awesome, which it is, that I think deflates our ability to act precisely as you said it leads to a kind of complacency that we have to accept things the way that they are so when we say after a mass shooting for all of its faults america's still awesome then i mean that that's not if we actually want action if we actually want change we have to be willing to say that there's something deeply wrong in our culture and it's weird to say that America is awesome and then in the next breath say there's something deeply and perhaps even uniquely wrong about our culture and our culture of violence and our gun culture more specifically. So we have to move away from the, oh, and I, you know, I do this all the, I mean, I do this because I really believe it. I, I often will argue, don't lose sight of how amazing America is because I I do think America is an amazing country and I'm not going to apologize for believing that. And this gets to, I think, a broader thing that if Matt had tweeted that at any other time, he still probably would have gotten attacked a lot, not nearly as much as this. But even just to say something as, as, as I think, self-evident as this, you know, America's relative... Um, you know, awesomeness in the sweep of human history, I think that's become increasingly anathema to liberals and folks on the left in the last few years in particular, to be very open about your pride in America in this way and to say America's awesome, or even I love America, to say I love America is like a weird thing in liberal spaces now. You're not supposed to sound too patriotic because then you're not acknowledging the you know if america is a systemically racist country and if uh, if there if there was evil at our founding and of course there was but if you look at our founding as primarily an evil thing without looking at um you know the things that we should take pride in in terms of the ideals upon which our our country was founded upon then you know then you can't really then also say that America, I love America, because how do you love a country that has been evil since its founding? Or how do you how do you claim that you love a country that is systemically racist? There is a tension here, and I think this is a tension 
that is becoming more and more obvious in intra-left debates about the nature of America. I, isn't 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 the problem that the it's the nature of the critique ultimately? Because again, like you know, what's the problem? I mean, problem is nineteen dead children. That's the very concrete problem. Uh, what's the problem? Our culture of violence. Is it uh, lack of regulation on semi-automatic weapons that makes a crazy person more likely to do more damage than he would with armed with a knife or a uh, you know a sword or you know maybe even just a pistol with six rounds in it? Um, is it or is it something else? Which I think it is when what people mean it's by deeper, this fallenness, yes. but what they mean no it's no but, but what what the critique is is that that there's something more wrong than just that on and that this gives us insight into it. I'm not sure I agree. I'm not sure I agree. I I, I wonder I well, wonder I wonder hmm. whether I wonder whether all this is 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 actually just a fix that may also be out of out of reach for um reasons of culture war being tied to guns, lack of trust and being unable to come to a, a legislative compromise which would you know, strictly limit uh, the uh, access to those kinds of weapons, but still allow people to, to own pistols and hunting rifles or whatever. Um, and and then, you know, we'd be still a place that people go crazy and, you know, people get shot every so often, but like it would, the destruction would be a lot less and uh, maybe the numbers would go down, not to zero. We'd never have that kind of society, but I don't think that damns the society that we have like a non-zero number of homicides per year. Um, I don't know. What do you think? Like, I mean, well, this gets that frame is hmm. like profoundly unmoral. That's the technocratic criticism. Like, we're fucked up, and like, there's something systemic in the way that we're set up that's now feeding into the the culture war that makes it very difficult to even play these tweaking games anymore. And we're we're going in a worse place that's exacerbating these things. But like my, my, my instinct, I guess, is that like, I, I don't think that, that the moral case on this is actually very helpful at all. Uh, if anything else, it just takes us down further line of this, of this silliness, this like polarizing silliness. Well, the moral case is important because I do think there's a place for moral outrage. There has to, I mean, we can't be numb when we see these events in our own country. There has to be some, like I, what I worry about, and I think, we're all, we've all fallen victim to this, that we see something like this and we just kind of shrug our shoulders and say, this is what we've become and we're never going to be able to be better. And we just become like, there, there should be more outrage than the time before if this keeps on happening, because outrage is what leads to political action if it's sustained and if it's carefully channeled. But maybe we can debate that. No, but, but I, let, I would but say. Let, mm. let, let, let me just hold before we, you go further and develop that. Just like just put a marker right there. Um, okay. What is it? Why do we think that we need to be sitting in, in like on sort of collective social spaces and grieving together? And why do we think that leads to political action and sustained political action? When in fact, you know, uh, I think there's there's plenty to point to the fact that a bunch of people emoting on, on social media are people who are actually not actually getting things done and actually aren't engaging in politics. They're like, they're, they're engaging in 
political flatulence on on in, a, in an unreal space okay, in yeah, a forum. Sure. You know what I mean? So so you know it's it's I I I'm, I, I think that's what I'm latching onto. What's bug, bugging me about this is that yes, Iglesias was rude and unpleasant, you know, on on brand, um, and he uh, uh, said some stuff that nevertheless impinged on this ritual of mass grieving, which we've now mistaken for political activism. And it's nothing of the sort. How's that? Yeah, I agree. I agree. And when I talk about anger and outrage and I talk about it being channeled effectively, I'm thinking more um, people organizing on the local level, people yeah. punishing their local representatives who don't take gun control seriously. That I mean, ultimately, because I believe in the democratic process, I believe there's only one way to address problems like this, mm. which is people need to actually vote for different representatives who reflect these concerns. That's what has to happen on a national level. That's where people should be channeling their anger. But I totally agree that if people just emote on Twitter, that's useless and often even counterproductive. So, but I, but local action is not going to happen unless there's a real sense that this time has to be different. Like sure. people, and there's a gap. You have to yeah. go from from point A to point B, and there's a lot that happens in between. But on the on the broader point about like the deeper culture, I'm reminded, of course, of Sam, our friend Sam Goldman's um, excellent article last year about, and this is just a paraphrase, and maybe I'm extrapolating a little bit, but you know, he makes an argument, something along the lines of America is the richest, most successful third world country right. in modern times, that ultimately we are not comparable to quote unquote civilized democracies in Europe or Australia or other places that have gotten their act together when it comes to mass shootings. Australia and Britain, you know, did have mass shootings um you know, in recent decades, but then very quickly and effectively were able to introduce legislation that, uh, you know, that seems to have been relatively successful in terms of limiting access to guns and so forth. Um, so we, we look at these countries, and of course, we look at Western and Central Europe, where they've been, you know, much more effective, um, and, ha and many of these countries haven't really had, you know, much trouble with mass shootings. Um, and... Um, we ask ourselves, why can't we be like that? But we're we're making the wrong comparison. We are not like Europe. Yeah, we're basically a very rich Latin American country. Right, right. Yeah, it's a great essay. No, but 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 here's the here's the <laughs> thing. Do you think? Do you think? Um, because the other thing that that I think they just got uh, voted down. Did I see that headline correctly? I was I was I was on the plane today, so I was just you know, uh, catching sort of glimpses of, of things. Um, did I see the headline that the uh, uh, the vote on the uh, domestic terrorism bill went down or maybe the numbers aren't there and it's not coming up for a vote? Uh, have you been yeah, following Yeah, I saw this that, but I haven't followed it. I, yeah. yeah, no, I haven't. Do you have a sense of what the debate is there? Well, the debate is, you know, again, it's it's become uh, completely uh, polarized on, 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 you know, partisan culture war lines. Uh, that basically conservatives feel that, you know, the provisions in this bill are going to uh, be used to, you know, I don't know, uh, find used against them one way or the other. But the 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 thing that that's jumped out at me more in it is that uh, 
you know, instead of approaching these issues uh, through the the uh, the narrow way of like let's limit assault weapons, let's figure out ways, you know, legislatively to put an end to this and maybe like build a real consensus on a national level against assault weapons. Um, this domestic terrorism stuff had a lot of sort of creepy surveillance stuff in it. And this is why I, I was thinking of you and what you were saying. I mean, channeling Sam on the one hand, Sam was, uh, Sam was, was um, being very clever about the Latin America thing. But uh, the other part is, is that, you know, we actually don't surveil our people as much as I think other, other quote-unquote advanced, quote-unquote normal, quote-unquote have their shit together societies um and there's a push to do that now perhaps out of frustration that we can't get our a handle on guns so we're going to do more surveillance and try and find people uh but there's that you know and 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 again i i think that there's that to me is the natural kind of policy prescription that comes out of uh an idea that our society is fallen depraved ill sick that we need to like take drastic measures of you know surveilling our citizenry to be able to find the cancer and eradicate it before you know bad shit happens or something like that. That's a bad metaphor, but you know what I mean. Like and and yeah. Um, and again, I, I I think that's why I still am sort of very sympathetic to to Matt's argument, even if it was you know ill timed and offensive, because because there's something. There's something off in how we're talking about all of this. And again, I, 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 I dabble and, you know, read the requisite handful of articles every time there's one of these really telegenic horrors uh, that happen. Um, but I, 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 I'm just increasingly, with every outrage, more and more convinced that the way we talk about it is also taking us to a worse place. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So... Um... Maybe this is a naive question for me to ask, but and maybe I'm missing something here. Hmm. What does this most recent mass shooting have to do with domestic terrorism? Oh, I don't know. I think this t domestic terrorism bill was ongoing. Um, and but what uh, does it have? To, so then, it, what's the connection? The connection wasn't to this one. It was to the one in was it the Buffalo shooting? Oh, that the was, Buffalo. And, yeah, last week. And so week, it's tied yeah. to that, uh, or at least was being pushed tied to that in the honor of the, that slaying and and. Uh, you know, the connection being uh, white supremacy. Um, and I saw conservatives were saying, you know, this is going to be used to, I don't know, uh, call our cops Nazis or something like that. And I didn't fully follow it. But it sounds, you know, I mean... Okay, I, so they're not saying that, like, any mass shooting is an act of domestic terrorism. No, no, no. But... Uh, I can I, imagine a, some people would make that argument. And that's... But. The implicit argument is that, you know, uh, these are sort of domestic terrorism things, so we need to expand the role of the state to be able to prevent them. And again, like, it's not completely irrational if you can't do anything about the, the gun laws, well then, and, uh, you know, well, you just empower the state to, to snoop more. But that's pretty un-American. It probably won't pass, you know? Um, yeah, well, and could. obviously, I mean, so I'm, I'm generally against domestic terrorism bills. Yeah. Um, and that's mostly because, you know, post 9-11, I saw what that discourse did when it came to American Muslims and surveillance. And, you know, once you start moving in that direction, you never know where it ends. There will be abuses. Um, and then um, it's just not a good precedent to set. And you never want to 
move in the direction of seeing your I mean, I think Republicans have reasonable concerns that, you know, there are some liberals who see like the Republican Party as basically um, like sort of like domestic terrorism adjacent. Like the Republican Party is basically the political wing of like white supremacy and white. If white supremacists are domestic terrorists, Republicans are like, you know, the Sinn Féin of the IRA or whatever, or something like that. Where, where do you part? So way? I can where see. You, like, where do you part way with that view? <laughs> what, what, what do you mean? I don't know. I feel like I feel like <laughs> I feel like you you you, uh, you you point to the the sort of comically extreme version of that view, but like it's pretty mainstream on the left. Uh, it's just by degree, and I'm just wondering at what degree do you, you think part it's pretty ways? mainstream? Isn't it? What do you, what, 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 so tell me, what do you think the mainstream version of that is? Uh, half the country has lost his mind. Uh, Trump is going to get reelected, likely. Um, and they're irredeemable. I think that's pretty mainstream. And yeah, that's it. That's mainstream. But I think that's quite different than saying that they're domestic terrorists. You have to take another step. Thinking people are deplorable and thinking that they are terrorists, I think, is a little bit... But it's think, a little bit different, right? I, think, I mean, I think it's 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 reasonably mainstream to say that January sixth proves that the party is is basically providing cover for insurrection and a coup, right? Yeah, I guess you're right. Look, I mean, if you put it that way, then yes, there are a lot of folks on the center left and left who, or even some, I guess, in the center too, who see the. Um, who see the Republican Party in precisely that fashion? Yes, yeah. uh, obviously, as you know, I don't, I don't share, I, I don't share that view, and I've been critical of that view, and I think, and I think, right? I mean, or, or do you think? No, I, I'm. Or is know, it not obvious? I think it's obvious. I, I'm just not sure where you part ways, and I, I'm, I'm being sort of disingenuous here because I, I don't, I don't think I have a very strong opinion on it, one way or the other. I do think that, um, you know, I, I. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I do think that there's very unhealthy tendencies going on right now. I I guess I, I tend to uh, recoil a little bit from the idea that Democrats are defending democracy from, uh, you know, a fascist party uh, and just sort of take a further step back and just feel like, a, like I'm looking at this sort of mutually uh, antagonizing dance that's happening. Um, which, you know, I'm, I've, I've written about and I'm reasonably comfortable pointing to, uh, you know, getting its modern roots in Pat Buchanan's speech in 1992. But, you know, I, I'm not sure it tells us very much or it's that important to, uh, really point out where this came from, because I think it's, we're, we're on a treadmill. It's just getting worse and worse at this point. Um, but I don't know, you know, like, you know, I, I, I have these sorts of, uh, like, direct message chats with Greg Sargent from the Washington Post, who somehow we become, like, Twitter buddies or something like that. And he's always well, pushing me. I didn't know you guys were buddies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, we have these sort of conversations. And he was pushing me. He's just like, what, don't you think that, that you know, <laughs> Democrats are fundamentally on a, you know, on, like on a healthier plane than, than Republicans on this? And I don't have, like, a very strong counter to that you know okay but i do yeah i mean if, if we have to choose between the two 
Democrats are significantly better in this regard than Republicans are. I mean, Democrats aren't as anti-democracy as the Republican Party currently is. Right. That's where, I mean, I don't know if that's like a normie position at this point, but that doesn't mean the Democrats are great and that they wouldn't have issues accepting Trump's victory in 2024, as I've argued many times and gotten attacked for for this. I do think that there will be a crisis within the Democratic Party if Trump wins in terms of whether or not they consider the outcome legitimate. Right. So, um, but that's still more speculative. That's still in the future. We have the current present moment, and we know that a big chunk of the Republican Party has not accepted the most recent national election outcome. So that's obviously worse than a speculative thing that may or may not happen in 2024, right? Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, right. But it's just mm. it's it's the only the only thing I would say. And then I, I've I've gotten a lot of serious pushback to this. But, you know, I think uh, if given, you know, if read uh, with enough charity, what I'm about to say, I think it's it's true, is that that we had a crisis of legitimacy with Trump as well, that uh, while there were no insurrections and it was peaceful protests, there was, you know, a lot of crazy shit that that went on during Trump's term. Uh, a lot of sort of motivated reasoning leading to all sorts of, you know, unhealthy politics that uh, doesn't excuse January 6th, but um, certainly contextualizes it. Um, I, I, I'm pretty comfortable in saying that. Um, and, you know, is that is that like really unhelpful relativism? Maybe, maybe. No, maybe I mean, that's but... interesting because that's further than I would go. So what you just said, I think it's a legitimate viewpoint. It's not quite... I don't know if I'd be 100% comfortable saying what you just said, hmm. but that's probably, I'm a little bit more sensitive to attacks on this after I wrote that Atlantic piece that people pilloried me for, I think somewhat unfairly um, before the election. We don't have to like, you know, <laughs> go back into that. No, But I, I guess I, that I, has I, affected I, me a yeah, little bit. I've always told you that I think that was a great piece and you shouldn't really feel bad about it or feel regretful about it. I, okay, should we include that in the show notes yeah, for sure. people who don't know what we're referring to? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's do that. Let's bring okay. it, bring bring okay. back that classic. Um, but yeah, look, I mean, <laughs> I, I, uh, I, 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 I fundamentally do think that. But I mean, okay, so that then gets to another sort of thing that you and I were just texting about which again, being in my weird Europe bubble, I all but missed. But apparently Elon said he's voting Republicans now, like, and perhaps trolling, perhaps not trolling. And uh, and you find that beyond the pale? I don't find it be beyond the pale. I just criticized it. And I think I, I responded to that effect on, on Twitter. Then some people like criticized me saying, you know, Shaddy, what's wrong? I mean, he's pissed off at Democrats. That's the main reason he wants to now vote for Republicans some of the time. That's how democracy works. I mean, my objection, and let me, I don't know if you can see, like, while I explain whether we can find that tweet, just so we're accurate about what exactly Elon Musk actually said. But I mean, my basic concern is that his main rationale for voting Republican was that Democrats suck. Yeah. And I'm like, I think Democrats kind of suck too. Is that a good enough reason for me to vote for the other party? There has to be something more than just this kind of reactionary impulse that you get pissed off at the Democratic Party for its hyper wokeness and its silly cultural politics. And, and then, you know, then you just like, 
that's there's got to be something more. There has to be, I think, a more principled basis for voting for a right wing party, right? Um, well, and and also just more. Hmm? I mean, I'm just I'm looking for the tweet as 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 we talk. I'm just uh, I'm trying to to think though, but that's not how people actually vote, right? Like they don't vote about issues, yeah. so they actually vote exactly how Elon is discussing it. Let me find the damn tweet. Exactly. And that's actually when Zayed Jelani responded. He's like, Shadi, this is most people vote for precisely those reasons. Right. They get angry at one of the parties. Yeah. And, right. But I guess maybe I just think for like for myself as someone who writes about politics and thinks about it, I would never want to be in the position where I'm voting for a Republican just because I think Democrats suck. Hmm. I would like because I mean. This is also where, like, my tribal affiliations are relevant, and we've talked about this before. Like, I have a tribe. My tribe is the Democratic Party. I may not be on the left, but I'm of the left, and I do consider myself to be left of center. So I'm not going to give up on that just because other people in my party have lost their minds. Why should I cede the ground to them? And that was actually the topic of my most recent Monday note, which is titled um, How the Left Lost Me. Yeah. And we can include that in the show notes because that gives a little bit more context to my to my position. And I should also clarify that the subtitle is But Why I'm Not Ready to Leave the Left. So yeah, the left, the left has gone in this different direction, especially on cultural issues. But that doesn't mean I've changed a whole lot. And I'm still, you know, more or less where I was a few years ago on a lot of these issues. And um, and this gets to the famous Elon Musk stick figure thing. And, yeah. and I guess that was like how a lot of this started, that Elon Musk has been a lot more open about his shifting, you know, political allegiances. But the chart is really interesting because I think it supports my point. Basically, um, Elon Musk has a chart, which I'm looking at right now, where he has a little stick figure of himself labeled me <laughs> yeah. in 2008. Yeah. And at that point, he's left of center, okay? Then 2012, he's standing in exactly the same place, but now he's getting closer to the center because the left is going further to the left, okay? Then in 2021, again, he hasn't moved. He's exactly in the same place he was in 2012 and 2008, but because progressives have moved so 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 far to the left he ends up being on the center right and being closer to the right wing so but then that means he's basically just deferring to the craziness of some people on the left and saying fine it's their party now um i'm not gonna fight i'm not gonna make my case from within the party um that i'm i'm just like closer to the right now i just feel like that concedes a lot and it also, I think, belies the fact that Elon Musk probably still has a lot of median Democratic voter preferences, like normie Democrats who don't follow politics that much, who aren't on Twitter. A lot of them are suspicious of wokeness. A lot of them, um, let's see, what are the other things that I I had mentioned in my piece. Um, yeah, a lot of them don't want to defund the police. They have moderate views on culture war issues, so on and so forth. So if it's if it's really like 
those things still matter, even on economic issues, on class issues. A lot of, you know, let's not forget about that. On economic issues, I assume that Elon Musk is, you know, somewhat sympathetic to various levels of redistribution, maybe not as much as other people would like. Remember, he trolled, I don't think he he's trolled, like a flat. He trolled your, your buddy Bernie real hard a couple of times, if I remember correctly. Uh, over the taxation Yeah, yeah. Stuff. So maybe he disagrees with how far Bernie goes on the redistribution. But I don't think Elon Musk is against redistribu- redistributive politics. Well, I don't know. I could be wrong. But I'm just saying that... that um, I have no idea. You know, but I, I, I just I generally assume that people in Silicon Valley are generally more libertarian than not. So, And, and as a result, they have sort of, you know, uh, John Galt kind of sympathies, you know, and self-conceptions. I mean, not, okay, but not that look, they're all teal, the but mm. you know, like I, I just feel yeah, like they're, yeah, they're all yeah. they're all tealish more than not. That's all. So it wouldn't surprise yeah, me if Elon's yeah. closer to, to like if there's a if there's that stick figure line and there's Bernie Sanders on one side and Peter Thiel on the other. I would imagine uh, Elon is not equidistant from those, and in fact, is much closer to Thiel. Just a guess, but well, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong about that. Yeah, yeah. No, fair enough. Um, but I guess the bigger point I'm making is that. If it's just a matter of thinking your own party sucks, let's say, I mean, I think like 60% of Democrats probably think their party sucks. That doesn't mean they should all become Republicans. And likewise, a lot of Republicans complain about the Republican Party and how much it sucks. Like, we all think our parties suck. Yeah. That's but, just the way that it is. But, but okay, okay, here's, here's, here's some, some counters to you. Uh, I found the tweet. Uh, in the past, I voted Democrat because they were parenthetical, mostly the kindness party, but they have become the party of division and hate, so I can no longer support them and will vote Republican. Now, watch their dirty tricks campaign against me unfold, dot, 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 popcorn. Now, um, <laughs> that's so incredible. Now, uh, uh, I'm, I, I'm not going to go do the research on this, but was this before or after the story broke about, uh, Elon wanting to get like a happy ending massage from his stewardess and offering to buy her a horse. Do you remember that story? <laughs> yeah, I think I think that he tweeted the Republican thing before that. Right, because he knew the story he was, was anticipating. coming. Exactly. So that, that's one thing I think it's worth keeping in mind. Second. <laughs> <laughs> second. Um, what strikes me about both your essay and Elon's little stick figure thing is, I think it's just in general kind of like, I don't know if it's like a modern thing, um, but it's very much an American thing, I think, which is both for you and for Elon, the most important thing is where you are in relation to the party, right? And you just take different sort of uh, conclusions from it. Elon's like, party deserted me, fuck them. You're like, party deserted me, I'm fighting for the party that I believe in. So that, those are your two sort of things. But in both of them, huh, in yeah. both of them, the, you're at the center of it. When really, <laughs> right? Like, but really, though, the, isn't, the, isn't the thing, and even as a political scientist, you could, you, you, I think, back this up, right? But the, the um, how do I put it? Uh, the, the sort of like undecided slash median voter or whatever, you know, the one that, that everyone's supposed to be campaigning, uh, fighting for. He is the person, she is the person that, uh, that, that doesn't belong to either and is, should be wooed. And in fact, the whole sort of median, theor- median voter theorem sort of 
you know, like is about that, right? Like that you're competing for that. And that's what centers democratic politics. So again, even on that level, you know, I, I, I feel like both yours and Elon's thing sort of misses the thing. Like uh, maybe Elon's approach to it is more true in spirit to like what a healthy median voter should be like, i.e. open to blandishments from Republicans. And if Democrats are are so repellent to him, well, he just sits it out or votes against them. Like, and, and isn't that also the argument, which I think you're sympathetic to, of, of someone like David Shore, who says, just stop this crazy shit because you're driving otherwise sane and gettable people. Maybe Elon Musk is not sane, but like a gettable person like Elon Musk. Um, I don't know, right? It's look, yeah, very good point. So, um, hmm, hmm. I'm trying to think there is a tension here in my own thinking. So let me try to let me try to think how I would put this. I guess one thing that really bothers me before I get to like the crux of what you just said is the left right spectrum. It's not actually primarily about economics. It's about culture and race. Mm -hmm. So that just changes the entire way we discuss these issues, because it's harder to go from one party to another on foundational metaphysical concerns. It's easier on economics because you can debate economic policy and you can kind of go in different directions. It's measurable, it's tangible. But I think to shift from one party to another now means that you have to change your culture. You have to change who you are in some fundamental sense. So I think, yes, in an ideal world, normally in a democracy, you want people to shift parties and change their voting patterns because they get more information, they see policies, they see how they're implemented, then they make judgments about whether they like those policies. That's sort of an ideal type of how democracy is supposed to work. But democracy doesn't work that way when we have two culturally diametrically opposed parties that are not like in some sense, if you're a Democrat, chances are you don't see the Republican Party as reasonable. If you're a Republican, chances are you don't see the Democratic Party as reasonable. What what ends up happening then is that you have this small number of people in the quote unquote middle, and they're the ones that you wanna win over. And they're like, what, six or 8% of the popular 10%, whatever it might be. They're like a relatively small sliver of the overall population. And there's also something weird about them. If you haven't picked a side at this point up until now with everything that's happened, like what does that say about you? And I, and I actually shouldn't be saying this because we need people like that. We need people who don't see the parties as tribes. But I'm also suspicious of those people because I'm wondering how they haven't made a choice. I haven't made a choice. So I'm, what? I don't think I've made a choice. I can't imagine you voting for Republicans on the national level. Maybe and, you do it in some local thing if... I don't vote local. I don't vote. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. Okay. No, but, but I mean, I, 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 uh, I don't... I don't... I... Look, look, I'll just say one more thing on this. It's, it's also absurd that Elon Musk calls Democrats the party of hate and division considering like okay fine the democratic party has become kind of divisive on cultural issues fine but it's not as if the republican party is is like the currently the party of 
harmony and open-mindedness and generosity of spirit. Like, it's just absurd when you think about that framing. Well, they're not judging him for asking for a happy ending and offering to buy a woman a horse. So, I mean... (laughs) (laughs) But then, like, he's not addressing the fact that Republicans don't have a firm commitment to the democratic process and respecting democratic outcomes. Yeah. That seems to me to be more divisive. I mean, that's also divisive, right? Yeah. I mean, is Donald Trump not divisive? I mean, he's still the standard bearer of the party on the national level. Yeah. He's not divisive. Yeah. Like, it's, just, it's also like the, the argument is so, it just, it's it's not, anyway, yeah. Um, that, it just bothered me because, um, and hate, hate is a strong word. When you think about like all the anti- um, look, I'm not someone who thinks that the Republican Party is a racist party. I wouldn't call the party racist. However, um, I would say that there are many prominent members of the party who engage in racist rhetoric, including Donald Trump, whether it's anti-Hispanic, anti-Black, anti-Muslim, anti-whatever it might be. Like the idea that you can describe the Republican Party as the alternative to hate is ludicrous to me. Um. So look, I mean, I guess I guess what I'm just sort of trying to uh, figure out what I do. I, I feel like if if Biden's running again and and Kamala Harris is his, uh, vice uh, president candidate, uh, you know, for re-election, um, I'd probably not vote for them. I think I think I've said that before, but I, I'm 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 so I'm if it's Kamala and who whoever else, so Kamala and whoever, no, the, no, no, whoever no, no. she would Joe pick Biden. you, Joe no. Biden, no Joe Biden and who he picks is critical to me. I would not I would I would not vote for Joe Biden if he picked Kamala Harris as his running mate for another four years, given how old he is. Um, and that would be disqualifying. Interesting. And I would I would uh, I think that's bad enough that I would stay at home. And uh, and you then, hate Kamala that much? Like that's a deal breaker. For I don't you? I don't hate her. I just think she's she's and things that I care about foreign policy. I think she's dangerously underqualified and, and like seems to have not grown with the job even a little bit. Like I was willing to give it a shot, you know, uh, I think uh, happily voted for, for, for Biden this last time with reservations about her. Uh, but, you know, whatever, it's maybe dirty tricks in the campaign and everything else. Everything I've seen about her is a disaster. Um, and I would she is running for president, basically, at this point, because he is old and, and getting worse. So, uh, yeah, I, I'd, I'd vote against her. Um, okay, and, and but you I, wouldn't. But you wouldn't actually vote against her because you wouldn't vote for the other side. Well, I would not vote for Donald Trump. I I put it that way. I don't think I'd not vote for the other side. And that gets to your question about whether whether I'd ever vote for a Republican in a national. Like you know, I haven't had a chance to vote from that many elections because I've only became a citizen. I don't know how many years ago at this point. Um, but like you know, I've said this before. Going back, you know, I wouldn't have voted for any Republican. Wouldn't have voted for Bush. Uh, wouldn't have voted for Romney, would definitely not have voted for McCain. Uh, you know, just, I don't know, going back, like, none of it really, uh, none of them appeal, certainly not for Trump. Um, but I, I, I you know, I, that's why, like, Elon's Musk, Elon's tweets not so, <laughs> Elon's Musk, yeah, his, his Musk is not so pungent. <laughs> Elon Musk's tweet is not so repellent at this point to me because I could very much see myself, uh, uh, you know, voting for not Biden um, and for interesting I'm the opposite I can see myself in retrospect voting I didn't for Trump. but knowing what we know now I can see myself having been much more open 
to John McCain or Mitt Romney compared to what the Republican Party is today. The Republican Party has gotten worse. So the fact that as time has passed, you've become more open to the prospect that you could consider voting Republican is interesting to me because like I go back in the other direction towards the past, like Mitt Romney, um, knowing what we know now um, wasn't so bad. Like, I mean, um, vaguely competent, a nice man, good family. Like, it wouldn't have been the end of the world where Trump winning, I know that you said you wouldn't vote for Trump, but if the Republican Party continues to be Trumpy, and if DeSantis becomes himself increasingly Trumpy, would you feel comfortable voting for Ron DeSantis if he's not committed to the Democratic process? Um, I, yeah. like, I don't know what his position is on that. Yeah, I mean, of course he'll obfuscate, uh, and that's part of the challenge, I guess. And, you know, you can read into that. He's not, you're not, you're not going to get a clear read of that before it happens. So, I mean, depends, you know, how, how, how risk averse are you for that? And what do you think is likely? But it, again, I mean, I, I, I guess I'm, 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 uh, more motivated by, uh, you know, the election of someone like Glenn Youngkin, who seems to me to have been actually quite harmless and was portrayed to be, you know, uh, the worst of the worst on this. Now, truth is, you know, I think uh, the media demanded that he repudiate everything about his party, and he refused to do that, um, while still not endorsing January 6th, as I understood it. You know, I wasn't voting for him. I'm not a Virginia resident, so uh, I don't, I don't, I don't know. But uh, I don't know specifically where he, he, how he, he uh, cleared that line. But I know for many people, you know, just the fact that he did not pull a full, a full Lynn Cheney means that that. He is complicit in, in fascism. But I don't know. I don't know. I'm not sure that's that's the line for me. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So look, and as we've talked about before, I mean, if I had kids in public school and I was like focused on local politics in Virginia, I can imagine maybe thinking about it if I didn't have if I wasn't me and I was just like a, a normie, ordinary person who wasn't super politicized. I think there would have been compelling reasons to vote for Glenn Youngkin because what could be more important than how your kids are educated, right? So, um, so I think there's also a difference between local and state level and national level. I think locally, there's a much stronger argument for people who are so inclined to vote for the Republican Party um, because in those cases, you're not really getting into the question of whether the party will respect democratic outcomes for a national election. I mean, that's what scares me the most. And this goes to, you know, what I think my my fundamental worries and commitments are. I worry about a party having more power. And then um, I, I hate to sound like an, I mean, because this is what I guess left of center people say on a regular basis, that the Republican Party will end democracy and, and so forth. And I, I, I think that a lot of that is, I don't want to demonize the Republican Party, but I also worry about things moving in a more negative direction over time. Won't they? Won't they end uh, it anyway? Won't, but won't yeah. they end the democracy by by um, uh, if you give them the state legislatures where they can change the constitutions and how uh, uh, what call it the electoral college and electors end up getting picked that they can yeah, but that's where you go. That's why. So isn't that how that's where democracy where ends? on the state level. Well, no, but that's a state level as opposed as opposed to the national level, where actually I find it I'm not sure exactly how, you know, having the presidency ends democracy, except for as commander in chief calling the army to like 
repress the people. I guess that's true. But you know what I mean? Like it's it's it's. Uh, uh, I mean, yeah, you get a bigger bullhorn, I guess, when you're you're Trump in the presidency, so you can radicalize people across state lines and maybe raise militias. Maybe that's what it is. I don't know what what exactly is your worry about about. I mean, I think from the instrumental ending democracy part, there's a stronger case to be made about uh, voting locally uh, for Democrats to preserve, you know, uh, the bigger national sort of infrastructure for uh, overturning the national vote. Which yeah, very yeah, but that, but that but that differs from from state to state. So Glenn Youngkin, sure. as far as I can tell, I don't think he can play any. Ma- I don't think Virginia is one of the one of the places where someone like Glenn Youngkin is going to change. I mean, I don't know, I could be wrong. Um, but I think that as an individual voter, you'd have to look at your own local context yeah. and see what the situation is on, on the state level and what the Republican Party is saying and doing. And there are many Republicans who resisted Trump's pressure. I mean, so there's also that. And in some states, the Republican Party has been better on these issues in other states they've been more trumpy so i don't see that as like the whole republican party is implicated yeah and then you can make more fine-tuned distinctions by getting to know your candidate and reading about their views on on january 6th or or whether or not they think the election was stolen from donald trump i know it's hard for republicans to say that donald trump actually lost but some of them are able to obfuscate in a, in, a, in a sort of more respectful way, a respectable way, I should say. So like Mitch McConnell, like he hasn't said outright, like, I mean, whatever Mitch McConnell actually said, he has in effect acknowledged that Trump lost, even if he doesn't say it in the most explicit way that someone might actually like in an ideal way, you know what I mean? So so, so you're worried about the bully um, pulpit that, that like uh, DeSantis would just sort of keep ranting about uh, the stolen election in 2020, even after he won and became president, he would just like- No, no, but the, and- the risk is that, the risk is next time around when he's running for a second term, that he he goes in a Trumpy direction where he, he, doesn't, he doesn't accept losing or he challenges the outcome. My sense is that Republican candidates will challenge the outcome if it's close for the foreseeable future. And that's what I'm worried about. I'm worried about what actually happens on election day in the aftermath of election day. Yeah. I mean, we've had but challenging the outcomes is one thing. I mean, it's it's the other is exactly what Trump was, you know, trying to do. And yeah, look, I mean, we're, we're going to get into the weeds of basically, you know, what it means to challenge the outcome. And really even, you know, I could press you then on, on uh, you know, what do you think a, a Democratic... Uh, reaction to the illegitimacy of Trump would look like the next time around. I mean, I don't know. Um, but again, it's speculative, as you said, maybe not like a really good use of our time to go yeah. down these rabbit holes. I don't know. I guess I guess what it comes down to is, is um, however like messed up things get, I still recoil from moralizing about it too much. And maybe that's why I don't feel like I'm part of a tribe and I still feel like I could vote for one or the other. Um, and, you know, Basically, my my worries about Biden having a second term is that he's old, and if he's, you know, picked a very bad deputy, uh, I'd I'd be quite inclined to vote against him on that. Um, I you know even though I, I think his team has done a, a pretty good job right now, it's still the presidency does matter, and uh, you know uh, I'd I'd be worried about that 
if uh, if it was Kamala for for term two. Um, well, so in that case, just to just to make sure you stay within the fold, let's hope then that Joe Biden picks a different running mate. Yeah, 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 for sure. And perhaps it's a good place to um, wrap it. Close the conversation because I know it's getting late over there. It is getting late over there, and I've I've been in, in planes and and all sorts of stuff. Uh, yeah. All right, Shadi. Good talking. <laughs> okay. All right. Good night, Demir. Good Talk night. soon. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Mm-hmm.